I don't know if I call myself a Christian anymore. That label suggests certainty and I have none. It suggests desire to convert others and that's the last thing I want to do. It suggests exclusive belonging and I'm not sure I belong anywhere anymore. Part of me wants to peel that label off, set it down and try to meet soul to soul without any layers between us. But I find myself unable to let go fully because to wash my hands of the Jesus story is to abandon something beautiful to money-hungry hijackers. It would be like surrendering the concept of the fashion industry or the magic of sexuality to internet porn dealers. I want beauty, I want sex, I want faith. I just don't want the hijackers commodified poisonous versions, nor do I want to identify myself with the hijackers. So I will say this, I remain compelled by the Jesus story, not as a history meant to reveal what happened long ago, but as poetry meant to illuminate. All right, hi again, everyone. Um, if you don't already know, my name is Bethany Cooper, and I am the pastoral intern at Bethany UCC for this year. Before I say anything further, I will say the elephant in the room. Yes, I am Bethany, pastoring Bethany UCC, and yes, it is spelled the same way. Uh, though many of you have pointed this out, you are free to be another. I am excited to be with all of you this morning, albeit a little bit nervous to be preaching in front of you for the first time. When I found out on September 1st, that I would be preaching at Bethany September 20th, I told my partner, Eli, uh, I got myself into this mess. Um, nevertheless, here I am. Funny, funny enough, about a week before beginning my internship here, I finished reading the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Perhaps I was destined to preach on the theme for this month because that book included the best explanation of my experience of faith over the past few years. It is the message I read right before this that explains Christianity as one, a place without belonging, two, hijacked, and three, compelling. In this passage, Doyle stole the words from my mouth that I've never known how to articulate for myself. In my last couple years at a conservative Christian college, I began feeling like there was so much about the Christianity I learned that I could not support. I remember one of the last straws being when I took spiritual strength training for a January term my sophomore year. First, let me be clear, I did not want to be in that class from the beginning, but I had terrible luck with the registrar that year. So there I was in a class that packaged spirituality with your gym membership. Every night for that class I had to read and then journal about my experience of the reading. On one evening, I ran across a line in a book written by a white straight man that just casually assumed gay people should get conversion therapy. I was livid. <laughs> I don't remember what I wrote in my journal that night but I am positive it gave the book a very bad review. From then on, my personal protest in that class was to be as uninvolved as possible. At the end of the class, we were required to attend a spiritual healing conference in the basement of our chapel covered in beige brick walls. 
I came, but I did not participate. At that point, the teacher had read my journals, which of course followed the guidelines, but were otherwise rants about the class. When my teacher approached me with a huge smile plastered across her face and asked to talk to me in private, I begrudgingly followed. We sat in an empty room in tiny children's chairs and she said, I want to understand more about why this class is so hard for you. Hands folded across my chest, blank faced, I said, I think some of your material is homophobic and I think the way you believe Christians should love is not genuine. She cried. <laughs> yes, I made my undergraduate professor cry, not to toot my own horn. <laughs> I was done with the tame version of Christianity, the tame version of Jesus, and I was also done apologizing about it. I saw how much tame Jesus was hurting loving people of faith, and I could not unsee it. But even as I dove into learning about ways the Bible is truly inclusive and unruly, I felt consistently weighed down by the Christianity I had been, giving, been given growing up. I came to know the tame Jesus surrounded by people who lived by a formula for loving God. You can't be a Christian if you're gay and in a loving relationship, but you can if you're straight and in a strained one. Ironically, I was taught to see Jesus, the rule breaker, as the rule maker. It became hard to care about a faith that I experienced to be ridden with so much hate. I started avoiding the church altogether, and for a little while, that felt good. And yet, despite my apathy and anger and avoidance of anything church-related, I found myself unable to let go of my faith in the years following undergraduate. As Doyle writes, I remain compelled by the Jesus story. One of the stories that compels me is the passage from Luke we read today. The Good Samaritan story is well known, but it is also more complicated than meets the eye. Jesus is teaching an expert in the law and they essentially want to know how to follow the law. In the same way as so many of us, this person wanted a direct formula for loving and following God. I have seen this formula so many times before in my experience of the church and more specifically in my spiritual strength training class. It is completely devoid of Jesus's paradoxical way of teaching. At first glance, the Good Samaritan story seems to be saying, watch out for your neighbor. Watch out for the person in pain. Respond in a way you hope someone would respond to you. It is not that these messages cannot be found in the story, but I do not think that gets at the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate. It must be noticed that the Samaritan is the person that helps the person who is robbed. In that time, the Samaritans and the Jews were not on good terms. In fact, the Jews demonized the Samaritans for being half Jew and half Gentile, excluding them from Jesus' circle of those who should be accepted. This is one of the situations where a formula is being set that says, the Samaritans are bad and the Jews are good, and that's it. Excluding and dismissing the Samaritans is the only possible answer to following God correctly. This is where I see the most susceptibility for tame Jesus showing up in the story. Tame Jesus couldn't really be throwing the formula out the window for who is accepted as much as telling us to be do-gooders in the world. 
Help that lady in the crosswalk. Show up at your neighbor's house with a casserole. Donate, donate, donate. Now, let me tell you, I'm an excellent cook, and I believe food is love, so I have been one to drop off meals at friends' homes in times of crisis. But I don't think the lesson Jesus is trying to give from this story is solely love your neighbor or even who is your neighbor. What I see in this story is the person who is rejected and dismissed is the person who is doing the work of God. Jesus turns this story on its head, not to tell us that we can be the Samaritan, so much as to have us notice who is the Samaritan in today's world. I look at the world today, and I despair as much as your average white progressive. I am more complicit than I would like to be. I avoid the news like it's my job. And then I see some of the most marginalized voices showing up to fight for change, and I think, what have I been doing? How is it that those who are rejected the most know how to love the best? I am most often not the Samaritan. The Samaritans are the most disadvantaged among us, black and brown trans women, disabled immigrants, and displaced refugees. These are the people whose voices are given very little attention and continue to do incredible work. I have been perplexed for quite some time as to why my experience in the church didn't include more of these voices. Specifically, in my experience, white churches are largely not inclusive and empowering spaces. That is one of the things that made me most apathetic about the church. But I have recently realized that if I leave the church as is, I am no better than the priest that walks by someone that's hurting and says, forget it, I have other things to do. I believe healing will come from putting more Samaritans at the center, and I want to be part of that. I want to be part of a community of voices that fights to make the church an inclusive space that does not rely on a formula to heal the church. I will not let the church be hijacked by people who have not met the untamed Jesus. Already in this past year, I have seen the joy of staying in a place I do not know how to be. In this case, it was in a conversation with my dad about LGBTQ inclusion in the church. I have many memories of poking, about, poking at my dad about his understanding of gay marriage based on the Bible. Before I even knew I was queer, I asked him what he would do if I was queer. Even now, I can so easily feel the anger and hurt in the questions I was asking him. I think somewhere deep inside, I was grappling with an identity I didn't know I carried. I questioned him, would you accept me? Would you abandon the idea that you are to love the sinner and hate the sin? Finally, I gained some relief when he remarried someone uh, far more progressive than himself. Mary Pat and I prodded at him and spoke as people of faith. Though Mary Pat, in classic form, was always far more patient and quicker to listen. So he attended the Q conference and read books and joined small groups. I don't recall any big moment where he decided to change, but I would continually see his steps forward. And then bam, within the last year, he attended two epic gay weddings. Woo um, I came out to him a few months later at the dining room table, Mary Pat by my side. 
He said, Bethany, I love you as you are. I'm happy for you. Thank you for telling me. Now, I'm not here to laud my dad for changing or myself for staying in the conversation with him. But I am here to recognize that through intentionally opening himself to queer voices in the church, my dad started identifying the Samaritan. Now he sees gay Christians as the Samaritans. He no longer lives by the formula that you must be straight to follow God correctly. I have finally realized that I can be part of the fight to reclaim what a Christian is in the world today. I am fearful, but I also don't see another way forward. I have privilege, and I want to use it to create more room for the voices of Samaritans in the church. I want to tell the stories of Jesus because they are compelling and speak to the ways we should be treating the outsider in the world today. I am here because I still have hope in people to change. I am here because I see power in the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me end by saying, no, I do not feel comfortable in my faith consistently, or even most of the time. But I keep finding Samaritans sticking by the church, and that makes it too hard to leave.